Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with your treasures stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life, you'll have all you need, just receive with a willing heart. You'll be set for life, you'll be on your way any day you decide to start. You ever notice how we do these things and we don't even know that we're doing it or why you're doing it? Here's what I catch myself doing. I was uh, had a big old cold glass of tea, mm. and I'd take a nice drink, and I'd be watching TV or whatever, and I'd take another drink, and I'm like, why am I going every time I drink tea? <laughs> what is that? You know. So I got to thinking about it. I think there's got to be a reason why we do this. I don't know why, but I think they made a Sonic commercial about it. One guy kept drinking, ah, and he drink, ah, and the other guy in the car says, would you stop that? And he goes, sorry. And then he takes a drink and he goes, ah, he does exactly what he told him not to do. There's things we do and we don't know why. I realize when something gets your throat cold, you need a nice long exhale to warm it back up. And we're, we do it, and we don't even know we're doing it. It's just one of those things, you know, but there's something else that we also do without realizing that we do it because it's in our nature to do it. And we, we do it. We don't know why, but we're doing it. We need to be aware that we're doing it. Now, when you go drink at your lunch today, you're going to go, don't do that. Anyway, there's something we do. And Leviticus 19 addresses it. Uh, Levit- Leviticus 19.17, it says, You shall not hate your brother in your heart. We do that, and we don't even realize we're doing it, don't we? You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. You see that? Hating someone, it may be in our sin nature, but when you do it, who bears the sin for it? Them or you? We do. We bear the sin for that. And if you're truly saved, your desires are going to match God's desires. Let me show you in John 8, 42. Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but He sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. That's strong. (laughs) Your daddy's the devil. Sounds weird when you think of it like that, but that's exactly what Jesus told them. And the reason he told them this is because their desires were following him. He says, if you were mine, your desires would follow God. Who's your daddy? Basically, you could say to this, who's your daddy? And our culture today is set in pre-programming us and conditioning us to divide, to cut people down, to argue, to insult, and mostly to accuse. Oh man, that's all over the news and everything right now. Accuse, accuse, accuse. 
I couldn't hardly stand watching the, the hearings of the guy that they were going to put in for uh, Supreme Court. It's full of accusation. And I, I'm, I'm not here to talk about which side of the argument you stand on. My problem is that there's an argument at all. That's my problem. Because both sides of the argument, the people over here says, I'm a Christian. And the people on this side of the argument says, I'm a Christian. Both sides claiming to be a Christian. Well, if they were, why are they obliterating each other? There's something wrong in this equation. You know, they teach you in math in school, everything on this side of the equal sign needs to reckon with and balance with everything on the other side of the equal sign. Well, when you got two opposing forces slamming at each other, hating each other, you hate your brother, you bear the sin for it. Whose desires are you following when you do that sort of thing? I have about all but quit social media because of this. You can't say, oh, it's a beautiful day without somebody tearing you to the ground over it. It's bad today. It's bad. <laughs> I had about all I can take. And some of you in here I know, and God bless you, you quit social media, have at it. I'm glad you can do it. I kind of have to stay on it but to run the church page. I wish I could just disappear. Anna said she'd take it over for me. I may take you up on it. I'm just, it, it, it sickens me to see people calling themselves Christians destroying each other. And Jesus said, here's where you stand, either here or here, because of who you're listening to, which father you're listening to. 2 Timothy 3 and 1, it says, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. Oh my God, is that big time today. Unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving. Oh my goodness. Guys, this is our culture now. Slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And here's the kicker. Here's the big kicker. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And from such people, turn away. Oh, I'm a Christian. Oh, I'm a Christian. Well, you don't agree with my politics. Well, I hate you. Well, I hate you. And then they go to war and kill each other having a form of godliness, but denying its power. That's today. That's right now. And everybody's bearing this sin for hating their brother. And I need to pray right now. Father, bless us in our hearing of Your Word. Lord, this is a hard pill to swallow. And oh Lord, it's no easier up here being the one to teach it. Because I know what I've done. But thank You for forgiving me. Help us all to understand what you've got to say in your word. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So these, all these people, they're claiming to be Christian. That's that form of godliness. And we have to learn to identify it. You demonstrate who your father truly is, Satan or Father God, by how you act, by how you conduct yourself. And if you hate your brother, you bear the sin of that. It doesn't hurt them. It hurts you. And so there's a forgiveness element needs to come into this because part of that problem list we went through was unforgiving. They weren't loving. They were unforgiving. These people with the form of godliness, they look good, but they deny the power of God, which causes them to outwardly demonstrate who their father is. So what's the fix for this? Here's my answer, and this is the title of my message. Drop dead. Drop dead. That's the title. Drop dead. Let me explain. 
Years ago, I went to visit my technical school where I got my electronics degree. I'd made a lot of friends there at the school, and I wanted to go visit some of the staff. And I went in there to say hi, and uh, I ended up in the accounting department. I knew the accountants in there. And uh, I sat down, I was talking with one of them, they asked, how's your career moving along? I said, man, y'all did me a lot of good, doing well. And she goes, oh, check this out. She has a piece of paper right there on her desk. She goes, you probably know this guy. And I, I saw the name, it said Marvin. I said, oh yeah, I know Marvin. Show that picture. That's me, and that's Marvin right behind me. That was graduation day. And the, uh, the little thing I've got on says NVTHS. That stands for National Vocational Technical Honor Society. I prefer to call it Envy This, because I had good grades, right? Envy This. And I'm like, that's my my pose, Envy This, buddy. But uh, that's Marvin, right behind me. That's the only picture I have of him. Back then, we didn't have cell phone cameras. We didn't snap everywhere we went. That's all I got. And so, that's Marvin, and uh, I remember Marvin. And uh, I said, after all these years, what are you doing with a document? on your desk that has anything to do with Marvin. I've graduated a long time ago. I've been out of the school for a long time. And she goes, oh, I'm forgiving his loans. I said, you're forgiving his loans? Yeah, she goes, yeah, I'm canceling his debt out to zero. Of course, my response was, well, how can I get my debt canceled out to zero? And she goes, oh, you didn't hear. Marvin died. And it hit me. For my debt to be wiped out, I have to die. Galatians 2.20, here's how you drop dead. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Friends, drop dead. Drop dead. You can't be forgiven. Your sins can't be wiped away. You can't be saved. And you can't get the desires of your Father indwelling in you with the Holy Spirit until you first drop dead you got to die first. Now there's something I think we've all noticed about people who are dead. If you yell at them, they don't yell back. If you hit them, they don't hit back. If you insult them, they don't insult you back. Why? Well, because they're dead. Now if you're truly saved in Christ, and Christ really dwells in you, then you should be dead to your old ways and you will not repay evil with evil. If somebody attacks you, you won't attack back because you're supposed to be dead so that you don't have hate against your brother, so that you don't bear that sin. Salvation will change you. So, drop dead. Your old sinful self is supposed to be gone by now. Now, I want to show you a parable from Jesus in Matthew 18 that you should be turned to. It's about a man who was offered forgiveness, but he adamantly refused to be changed, and he would not drop dead to his old nature. He would not die to self. He stayed selfish. And we get to find out what happens to him. Matthew 18 and 21, because Jesus and Peter were talking. This is the parable of the unforgiving servant. And this one is tough, but it's also very good. Matthew 18, 21. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. (laughs) Back then, it was the rabbinic teaching in the law that you only have to forgive people three times. Kind of like baseball, three strikes and then you're out. You only have to forgive them three times and on the fourth time, you don't have to forgive them no more. You tell them to hit the robe. 
And so Peter was trying to seem kind of overly generous here, which is why he said, uh, he asked, shall I forgive them seven times, Lord? Seven times, that form of godliness? Shall I forgive them seven times? Oh, I just doubled and added one to the law. Seven. Oh, Jesus is going to love me. I look so righteous. <laughs> seven times. And Jesus hit him right between the eyes. I tell you, not seven times, but 70 times seven. <laughs> now, guys, this does not mean 490 times and then you stop. <laughs> because then you're going to start keeping track. Oh, 490, you're done. No, it's not what he meant. He meant you continually forgive over and over and over and over again and again and again. Now, some people think this is going to make them a, a welcome, a, a doormat. Like, you're going to, well, if you just keep forgiving people, they're just going to walk all over you. No, because if you do what God says, he injects his power in it, and he has the power to change. I'm sure Peter thought that, that it would make him a pushover. And so Jesus furthers his response with a parable in Matthew 18 and 23. And I need a drink real quick. You are waiting to see if I do it. <laughs> Matthew 18 and 23. <laughs> I can't keep it together. This is going on the radio. <laughs> Get your voice. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him. This doesn't mean to pray for him. He laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not. But he went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what he had done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that he had done. Then his master, after he called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly Father also will do to, to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Now, I know everybody right now is thinking of somebody or many people that you're, oh, I, not that guy. Yeah, that guy. This servant was offered forgiveness from the king, and he took it. He took it. I noticed something different between the, the, the servant and the one he choked. One said, yeah, I'll pay it back, but the one that owed the king says, I can't. Very big difference between these two guys. But he took it from the king, but did he change? He didn't change, did he? He did not change one bit. Didn't change him. And so what happened to him? Because he did not change, because he did not take on the desire of his king he got thrown to the torturers. He was jailed. He was basically thrown into, into prison. He lost his freedom. He lost his life. He lost everything he had. And Jesus said that God will do the same thing to anyone who does not forgive. Friends, what, I guess what we're looking at here is that salvation in Jesus 
will change you. And I can say it with absolute confidence from God's Word that if you, aren't, if you ain't changed, you ain't saved. If you ain't changed, you ain't saved. If you do not have the desires of God the Father, and you go around choking people, you choke them on the internet, you choke them with your mouth, you choke them with your actions, you've got problems with this story. And yes, the conviction's going to be severe, but thank God for it, because that's the job of the Holy Spirit. If you ain't changed, you ain't saved. You see, being sent to the torturers in the spiritual sense is being thrown into condemnation. So let's break the parable down real quick. First off, let's observe. Who was it that initiated the settling of accounts? Who wanted to do this in the first place? It was the king. The king wanted to do this. It wasn't the servants that wanted to settle accounts because, quite frankly, the servant did not care. I'm sure his debt gave him a really high style of living. He liked it. He didn't care to settle accounts. It was the king that started it, verse 23. The king wanted to settle accounts, and so he's the one that started the whole ball rolling. The king started it. It was his initiative. John 6, says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. The Father draws people to Jesus, the King, God our Father. He initiated the whole thing. Being saved, getting a new nature, turning from the old nature to the new, new good and godly desires. You didn't start that. You didn't just wake up one day and go, you know what? I feel real good today. I think I'll get saved. <laughs> That's not how it worked. God had to enact a process on you that took a long time that finally got you to a breaking point where you realized, I need something different. And he pointed you to Jesus. And you said, that's what I want. He initiated this. He drew you. It is God who wishes to summon us to him to settle our differences with him. And those differences we have with him is our sin. That's our debt. And so the king in this parable is God. And the servant is you and me. Is you and me. This story is an illustration of how God views us with compassion and love, and how He had compassion and loved us back when we didn't even care about Him. God initiated the work required to save us when we didn't even have a care. Romans 5 and 8 says, But God demonstrates His own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It does not say He waited for us to straighten up first and then says, okay, now you're worth dying for. That's not how it went. He died while we were still a mess. Whether we were going to come to belief in Jesus or not, He still died that death. And so the servant in the parable is, is us. He's in debt. He's sinful. He's selfish. And the reason that the king offered him forgiveness is because Matthew 18, 27 says that the king was moved with compassion for him. Do you see that? The king was moved with compassion. Have you ever been moved to compassion for somebody? You ever been moved to compassion for someone? Why? Why were you moved? Because you saw someone in a bad situation. They couldn't do anything about it. You wanted to do something for them because you could. And so your love for them, your compassion drove you to act. Now we know we're all sinners and we've got problems that we cannot do anything about. That's every one of us. We've all been in that spot where you know you can't fix it. We, that's why we found out we needed a Savior. But did you know 
that God has compassion for you to do something about it? I think that's a missed point these days. I had a friend at work one day, one day he came to work, and he just walked right into my office. He just got into the office and punched in. He goes, you know what, Ray? I just realized something on the way to work. I said, what? He goes, I just realized God cares about me. And of course, my first reaction was, what? <laughs> but you don't do that. Thank God they saw it, right? So he goes, I just realized God cares about me. And I said, well, well, good. And it went into a discussion. Well, what are you going to do about it now? And we, we had a nice talk. Some people don't know that God has compassion for them. The reason that God draws us to Jesus and He initiated and started the whole thing is because He sees you're in a spot you can't do anything about, but I can. And because He has compassion, He drew us to do something about it. That's why He demonstrated His love for us, dying for our sin while we were still too busy sinning. Friends, there is no greater love than this. If you don't hear anything else, hear this. God wants you. He wants you because He loves you. The problem is, there's sin between us and Him, and that's why He wants to settle accounts. He needs to settle those accounts. You're not coming into my house with that filth. We'll take care of it. And that's why He wants to do that. God does not want to condemn you. Christians, non-Christians, anybody, everybody that hears me, God does not want to condemn you. You hear this talk, the stories about God being this judge, and He's ready to slash everybody down. God does not want to condemn you. He wants to save you. That's what he wants to do. Now, in this parable, the servant was not changed. He merely had a form of godliness while denying its power, which is probably what most Christians seem to be doing these days. He went around telling people how forgiven he probably was, but then turned around and choked somebody else for owing him. The king said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? Friends, when you claim to be forgiven by Jesus, but you refuse to forgive others who offended you, then you are having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Well, if I forgive again and again and again, they're just going to walk on me. That's denying God's power. They ain't going to walk on you. You're a conqueror. Don't just have a form of godliness. When you have a form of godliness but deny its power, that ticks God off something fierce. And that's what happened to the king. Was he not mad? He was quite angry. If God can forgive you of your sin, then you certainly can forgive others of theirs. And I want to illustrate. I want us to take notice of the two different amounts that were owed. If you look uh, in verse 24, the servant owed the king 10,000 talents. And then someone else owed that servant in verse 28, 100 denarius, or in plural is denarii, denarii. 100 denarii, 100 denarius was owed by the fellow servant. One denarius is one day's wages. listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you through a line-by-line 
verse-by-verse study in God's Word. Jesus said in John 8, verse 31, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless, you are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.